Good morning. If you will turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We will be looking at verses 17 through 19 this morning. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 through 19. And as you find your place in God's word, if you will stand with me as we honor the reading of it. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 17, hear the word of the Lord this morning. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Father, thank you for your word. We know that all scripture is breathed out by God and that all scripture is profitable for your church. I pray that we will be quick to hear and quick to obey. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Back in 2016, while still pastoring Northwest Baptist Church, I was preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. And in September of that year, I came to chapter 9, verses 1 through 14, and preached a sermon I entitled, Why pay the pastor? Paul's main point in that section is that if you have received spiritual benefits from the preacher, then is it too much to ask that the preacher receive material benefits from you? Now, a common criticism of the church in America is that preachers just want your money. And with a title like, Why pay the pastor? You may be thinking, well, this preacher just wanted some money. You may have even asked that question. Why do we pay George? I don't remember receiving any criticism from that sermon, but I do remember how uncomfortable I was preaching that sermon. Um, It could have very well come across as self-serving. After all, I was the preacher. Um, I might as well have titled the sermon, Why You Should Pay George. But I didn't preach that sermon because I wanted more money. I preached it because I was preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. And that's what the passage was about. I came to the passage, and so I preached on the passage. Um, If you don't think that pastors should get paid, or if you don't think that pastors should get paid as much as they do, then you still have to reconcile your belief with what the Bible says. And it's the strength of expository preaching, preaching book by book, verse by verse through the Bible. You don't always get to hear what's comfortable for you to hear. I don't always get to preach what's comfortable for me to preach. Uh, You can go back later and look through 1 Corinthians and see all of the uncomfortable sermons that I had to preach. 
I was uncomfortable preaching why the church should pay the pastor, not because of what the Bible was saying, but because I know that it could come across the wrong way. And just as I was uncomfortable preaching that passage, I'm uncomfortable this morning <laughs> preaching this passage. When we come to a passage in the Bible that says, obey and submit to your pastor, I'm once again well aware that I'm your pastor. And I want to be very careful with this text because I, I know that there are maybe some of you out there who have experienced bad pastors. I know that there are some of you out there who have felt beaten up by pastors who are bullies. I've been at a church where it was the pastor's way, and if you didn't believe everything exactly like he believed and do everything exactly as he wanted, then you were suspected of being an unbeliever. That's a terrible environment for a church. And so I, I have to be really careful this morning. I want to be really careful with this passage. I, I don't want this to come across as self-serving. But having said that, it is in your Bible. And there's a reason for it being in your Bible. Uh, you can't hear this as the word of George. You have to hear this as the word of God. And even if you've been hurt by a pastor in the past, that doesn't negate what the scripture says here. You may have had bad experiences at a church. You may have had bad experiences with a pastor. And we can talk about those past bad experiences, but it's important for us all to realize that your experiences don't invalidate what the Bible says. And so as we sit under the word of God this morning, we also submit ourselves to the Bible's teaching about how we are to treat and respond to the pastors of the church. And so we come to this section in Hebrews chapter 13 as we come to the near the end of the book. Remember, we're still in a section that began at verse 1. These verses are, are really picking up off of chapter 12, verse 28, and and, and these, these verses are explaining to us what it means to offer acceptable worship or acceptable service to God. And it's still within the context of persecution and hardships and the temptation to fall away from the faith. So in verse 7 of, of chapter 13, the, the apostle instructed us to remember our leaders. Remember those who spoke the word of God to us to consider the outcome of their way of life and to imitate their faith. Those were the leaders or the overseers or pastors or elders, whatever title you, you prefer for, for the leaders of the church. These were those men of former days. Perhaps these were the men who pastored the church when it was first founded. And these men are now, now gone. They've died either because of age or because of martyrdom. And now a new generation of pastors are leading the church. And the congregation, in the middle of persecution and the danger of false teaching and the temptation to leave Christianity, are instructed briefly on how they ought to treat these pastors. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at how we're supposed to, to treat our pastors. 
And this isn't an exhaustive study. We're not going to be talking about why you ought to pay your pastors. We're not going to spend any time on the way Baptist churches are governed. This isn't going to be a systematic study on ecclesiology because that's not what the passage is about. That's not what's in the text. What we're going to do is we're going to look at this particular text and we're going to ask how in the midst of persecution and societal rejection and the threat of false teaching and the temptation to abandon the faith, in the middle of all of those dangers, dangers that you face, by the way, how should you as a church member treat your pastor? That's what we're going to see today in verses 17 through 19. We're going to see two responsibilities. Two responsibilities you have as church members to your pastors. Two responsibilities that you have as church members to your pastors. Three verses, two points. I think that you'll see it very clearly, at least that's my hope. Listen to your pastors, pray for your pastors. Listen to your pastors, pray for your pastors. Let's look at our passage this morning. We're going to spend the, the bulk of our time in verse 17. Listen to your pastors. Look at what it says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey and submit. Now, there are a lot of words that are out of fashion nowadays in our culture. We hear quite often that words are violence. But perhaps no words are more taboo in our culture than obey and submit. Right? Submit to the governing authorities is what Paul says in Romans 13. Well, I don't think so. Don't you know who the president is? Or wives, submit to your husbands. That's sexist and antiquated. Down with the patriarchy, right? Obey and submit to your leaders. Not going to happen. This was my granddaddy's church. He was a founding deacon here. I'm not going to let just some guy come in and suggest what color the carpet's going to be. It's been orange shag for 70 years, and it's going to be orange shag until Jesus comes. This is the stuff of church splits, right? I've been in enough Baptist churches, both as a lay member and as a minister, to know that many congregations treat the pastor like an employee, like a hired hand. Um, most of you are probably familiar with my own story, how I pastored Northwest Baptist from this pulpit for two years when the church tried to fire me. And why did they try to fire me? because I wasn't doing things the way that they wanted things to be done. And in a Southern Baptist church, if one pastor doesn't do what you want, you fire him and you find another pastor who will do what you want. That, that's the way it works. And if you don't believe me, go onto the Baptist Messenger website and peruse the classified section. And you will, you will very quickly see what I mean. I was once on the personnel committee at a church, which that's personnel committee, that's another issue. 
And this committee had each of the ministers of the church fill out an evaluation form and submit it to the personnel committee so the committee could, could decide on whether or not to give them a raise or not. That's how many churches run. That's how they run. And so when we come to a passage that calls upon the church to obey and submit to his leaders, most churches are in foreign territory because you don't obey an employee, an employee obeys you. But that's not how the apostle treats the church structure in this verse. He says, obey your leaders. A few weeks back in verse 7, we saw that the word leader is used of political and military as well as religious leaders. The way it's used in this chapter three times, verse 17, or 7, 17, and 24, tell us that this is just another word for elder or overseer or pastor. Remember your leaders of the past. Obey and submit to your leaders of today. The use of the word is deliberate, and it, it, does, it, it does remind us of who the pastors of the church are. They are the church's leaders. These are the men who have been appointed over God's house. They are stewards in God's house over God's people, and they ought to be viewed as such. They are not the church's employees. Now, what does it mean to obey and submit to these leaders? These words, they may look like synonyms in our English translations, but they carry different connotations in the Greek. So we want to we deal with each word separately. The word translated here as obey is found in verse 18, where it's translated, if you're using the ESV, as we are sure. Or you can go back to chapter 6, verse 9, and, and right there the ESV translates it as, we feel sure. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the word is translated as convinced, or confidence, or persuaded. In a couple of places, it can also be translated as trust. In other words, this is not mindless submission. It's not do what I tell you to do because I'm your pastor, but it's persuasion by the leader's biblical instruction. To obey your pastor in this regard is to, as one commentator puts it, come with teachable minds and submissive hearts. And as you come to sit under the teaching of your pastors, trust them, be persuaded by the word of God, and then submit to what the scriptures teach and command you to do. Pastor Al Martin wrote, it is a yielding and obeying which rests upon the persuasion that the doctrine given, the duties enjoined, and the admonition administered are indeed the word and the mind of the living God. It is the kind of obedience that is rendered intelligently and volitionally under the conviction that what is required is right. Another pastor puts it very simply. When persuaded by sound doctrine, the hearers must submit. When persuaded by sound doctrine, the hearers must submit. And this means at least three things are necessary for you. The first thing is that of church attendance. You have to attend so that you can hear. The second thing is that you have to be an active listener. You, you can't sit here and check out and still expect the benefits and then you have to be willing to have your beliefs and actions challenged. 
You, you have to be teachable and, and willing to change where you're wrong. That's what it means to obey. Now, now what if the pastor is wrong in what, is, in what he preaches? What if you're sitting there and you hear something from the pulpit and you say, I don't know if I quite agree with that. And that can certainly happen. We're not infallible. <laughs> we, we may get it wrong. There, there may be times where there are interpretive issues and we come down on one side and you come down on the other. So I, I don't want you to hear me saying that we only want mindless automatons here at the church. Uh, you are free to disagree. Not even all the elders agree on everything. How can I expect you <laughs> to agree on everything with me? But my first encouragement to you is to be a Berean. Study the scriptures yourself. See if the things preached are true. If the Bereans were praised for doing this with Paul's teaching, then you certainly can be praised if you do that with George's teaching. An interesting note for the book of Hebrews, the fact that the apostle can confidently tell these believers to obey their leaders is an indication that their leaders haven't apostatized. He still has confidence. These are faithful and trustworthy pastors. So obey them. Listen to them. Trust them. Second is I would encourage you to be slow and careful before choosing new elders. I say this because I know that I won't be here forever. The five elders that we have won't always be the elders of this church. When it comes time to choose new elders, be slow and careful in choosing them. Be sure that they can accurately preach and teach the scriptures. Be sure that their lives match their doctrine. A third is... Trust your pastors. There's a lot of churches, churches I've been in, where the congregation simply does not trust their pastor. Trust your pastor. Trust that your pastors are studying the scriptures and that they are seeking the correct meaning and the application. Even if you come away with a different interpretation, trust that your pastors are doing their due diligence and they're coming to their positions by faithfully looking at the Bible and that they want to obey. Trust them. That, that's one of the connotations of the word obey. Trust your pastors. Don't always come in with suspicion, thinking that there's some underlying motive. And then fourth, seek expositional preachers. This is why you as a church member must demand expositional preaching. No other type of preaching will do, even if it's a topical sermon. And I, I don't know who, hears, who needs to hear this, but a topical sermon is not a sin. <laughs> a topical sermon still needs to be expositional. It must take a passage of scripture, explain it in its immediate context, explain how it finds its fulfillment in Christ, and then explain how we are to believe and obey it. I know because of the town that we're in, this, this probably is not going to be the last church that you're ever a member of. You, you may be a visitor here only for a few weeks, and you're going to go somewhere else. When you move, 
find a church where the pastors preach expositionally. I'm constantly frustrated when I hear the reasons for why people attend the churches that they do. It usually has to do with the children's program or the youth group. And it's not necessarily wrong to want a children's program or to want a youth group, but what I'm saying is that wherever you find expositional preaching, plant yourself there. Even if the church can offer nothing else, if they have a pastor or pastors who preach book by book, verse by verse through the Bible, plant yourself there. And even if they have everything that you could have ever have hoped or dreamed to find in a church and they lack this one thing, they lack expositional preaching, then for the love of God, go somewhere else. Nothing can replace sound, solid, biblical, expository preaching and teaching. That's why the pastors here are committed to expositional preaching. It's why you should expect it and seek it out. Trust your pastors. Listen to the teachings of your pastors. Be persuaded by the word of God. And then obey your pastor's teachings and admonishments and exhortations. That's what that one word, obey, means. What about the pesky word, submit? This word is only found here in the entire New Testament. But it's used elsewhere in Greek writings to refer to an army retreating or withdrawing or even surrendering. It literally means to yield or lay down under. It generally means to give way to or to concede or yield to. Now, this one might be a little tougher for you. You might think, yeah, I can obey my pastor when he's preaching the word of God to me and I agree with him. But now the apostle is telling the church to submit to the pastors in general, even when you don't agree with them. And this is a command found in several places in the New Testament. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanos were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul again says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. First Peter chapter 5, the apostle Peter says, likewise, you who are younger, why, why does he address those who are younger? Because the young people are the most likely to rebel. <laughs> you who are younger, submit to the elders. It's possible that as the first generation of elders die and are replaced, that there's disharmony and schisms in the church. The new leaders may be compared to the old leadership. Well, Brother John didn't do it that way, or Brother Barnabas didn't preach that long. In the first letter of Clement, first Clement, this is an apostolic writing, apostolic father's writing, written probably around 90 AD. Uh, Clement of Rome was an early church father. and He was writing to the church in Corinth because, surprise, surprise, the church of Corinth has problems again. 
And so he's writing to them. And the specific reason why he's writing to them is because there's been a coup. Some of the younger men have actually expelled the elders of the church. And so listen to what he writes to this church that has displaced their elders. He says, for it will be no small sin for us if we depose from the bishop's office. That's simply a word for overseer. Those who have offered the gifts blamelessly and in holiness. Blessed are those presbyters. It's a word for elders. Blessed are those elders who have gone on ahead who took their departure at a mature and fruitful age, for they need no longer fear that someone may remove them from their established place. What he's saying is that blessed are those elders who have already died because they don't have to worry about getting fired. Been there. For we see that you have removed certain people, their good conduct notwithstanding, from the ministry that had been held in honor by them blamelessly. Now, unfortunately, First Clement could have been written to any number of Baptist churches today in Oklahoma. Churches in the area who have rebelled against good pastors who faithfully preach, teach, and serve the church. And instead, Clement, in his writing, and the apostle here in the book of Hebrews writes, submit to them, yield to them, concede to them. Don't throw them out if they're faithfully preaching and teaching the word of God to you. If they haven't done anything that's worthy of being removed, then don't remove them. Submit to them. Now, what does this look like? In what are we to yield to the pastors? In everything? Are we supposed to submit in what kind of job that you can have or or what house to buy, what you can spend your money on? I know many of you come from an independent, fundamental Baptist background. Should the elders carry rulers so that they can measure the hemline of dresses? That may have given some of you bad flashbacks. I apologize. Well, you'll be glad to know that your pastors don't stalk you on Facebook. At least I don't. We don't have hidden cameras in your house. We don't have private conversations with your physician or have your boss's phone number programmed into our phones. As your pastors, we are the church's primary interpreters and teachers of the scripture. We are responsible for maintaining the good order of the church, for protecting it from danger. We're we're responsible for seeking the well-being of the congregation entrusted to us. So, whereas you're you're welcome to ask my advice or counsel regarding your job or, or, or where you're going to live or any kind of big decision you need to make, our primary role is to teach the Word of God to you. My, my authority doesn't extend to, you have to buy this house, you have to spend your money on this. We're responsible to preach the Word of God to you, to be involved in your lives, in order to pray for you, to admonish or encourage you as needed in your spiritual lives as it accords with the Bible, and trust that you'll listen and obey the word of God and the authority that God has given us for your good. Our authority isn't unbridled control over every aspect of your life, but rather our authority is to govern the life of the church collectively. And you are instructed to obey and submit to the leadership of the pastors.
I like what one Reformed Baptist pastor said. He said, not only are we to obey when persuaded that our elders are implementing clear biblical directives, but in ecclesiastical matters where the Bible does not give specific directives, for example, the time of the stated meetings on the Lord's Day, if we do not have biblical warrant to show that their judgment is wrong, we are to yield even when our own judgment and natural inclination are in another direction. Simply put, in this passage, the command to obey seems to imply yielding in obedience from the position of a persuaded mind, while to submit seems to imply yielding in obedience even from the position of a contrary judgment to that reached by your elders. This command, therefore, focuses even more closely on the issue of the will than the preceding one. For the acid test of submission is yielding where our own natural inclination would take us in another direction. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, why is it so important to obey and to submit to your pastors? We're supposed to obey our leaders and submit to them. That's the first clause here in this verse. But why are we supposed to do it? It's not, it's not just do what I say and, and I'm not going to give you a reason. It's just because. There's actually three reasons that are given in the rest of this verse. Why is it important? The first reason is for they are keeping watch over your souls. They're keeping watch over your souls. That word keep watch, it literally means to be sleepless or to pass a sleepless night. It's to keep wakeful vigilance through the night when danger is at its peak. Paul tells the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians that he spent many sleepless nights and all for the sake of the churches to whom he ministered. Remember, that this is all still in the context of persecution and false teaching and the, the temptation to fall away. Never, never remove these passages too far from the context of persecution and false teaching. And the, the overall message of the book is don't fall away from Christ. He's telling them to obey and submit to their leaders in that context for their keeping watch over your souls. See, the, this... These Christians, they're, they're suffering, perhaps from the Romans, definitely from the unbelieving Jewish population. We, we know of the many false teachings that were spreading, even in the days of the early church. And there was the, the temptation here to leave Christianity and to return to the temple. And so he's telling them to listen and obey and submit to your pastors because this is good for your soul. Because their task is to watch over your soul. To go sleepless nights and to face the dangers of false teachings and abuse and persecution for you. So obey them. Because this is one of the means of grace that God has given to the church in order to keep you from falling away. If you try to go Lone Ranger, if you wander away from the flock, if the, the shepherd is telling you don't go over there, there's a cliff, and you wander over there and fall off the cliff, it's not the shepherd's fault. You need to submit to him. Because he is the, the 
the means that God has given to the church to teach you and to warn you and to admonish you and to encourage you to keep going, keep running, keep the faith. So obey your leaders and submit to them. The second reason why it's important that you do this is that they will have to give an account. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Again, when the apostle is instructing you to, to obey and to submit to your pastors, he's not giving to the pastors unbridled power. It's, it's not limitless power. There will be a day of reckoning. Uh, Robert Paul Martin, again, Reformed Baptist, he said, elders are not sovereigns, but servants. Not the owners of God's house, but stewards who must one day give account to the master of the house of their stewardship. Paul was aware of this in Acts chapter 20. He tells the, the elders of Ephesus that he, he fulfilled his role. He fulfilled his ministry. The apostle James warns in James chapter 3, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so Peter gives these instructions to elders in 1 Peter chapter 5. He exhorts them to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's a, a heavy weight of responsibility upon the pastors for the sake of the church. They are to keep watch over the flock and they will one day have to stand before the face of the risen Son of God and give an account for how they shepherded. And so the apostle says, obey your leaders, submit to them so that they can fulfill this task with joy and not with groaning. Tom Schreiner writes, the joy doesn't come from leaders exercising personal and autocratic power because of their selfish will. The leaders are joyful or grieved for God's sake. If the readers fall away and apostatize, their leaders are grieved. But if the readers stay true to Christ, their leaders will rejoice. And so the third reason why it's important that you obey and submit to your leaders it's for your own benefit. It's for your own benefit. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It'd be of no advantage to you. Your pastors don't serve for themselves. They serve for you. It's for your benefit. It's so that you would know Christ, that, that you would know the blessings of walking in obedience, that, that you would have peace and flourishing in your heart, in your family, at, at work, because you're walking in the light of God's word. When you obey, you bring us joy. When you disobey, when you don't listen, it causes sorrow. It's as simple as that. And for the most part, I can honestly say that this church has brought your pastors joy. Your pastors rejoice in you because you, you listen. You listen. You have, a, you have a heart that wants to listen and obey God's word. And it brings us joy. 
But you know that there's also been times of pain and sorrow for your pastors. There have definitely been sleepless nights. You've been a part of that sorrow as we've seen members fall away. So listen to this verse and obey. And so bring joy to your pastors. Causing trouble and grief and sorrows for your pastors won't benefit you at all. Stirring up strife and division, it, it, it does not benefit you. The church is not better off when it rebels against godly, faithful pastors. I, I remember, I could, I could share story after story. <laughs> I remember coming into this building, paranoid. What's going to happen today? What, what is this person going to do today? What is this person going to say today? How, what fire am I going to have to put out because they didn't like what I said? I've had people come into my office screaming at me. That is not beneficial to the church. It's not beneficial to the church. Listen, obey for your good. One commentator said, a godly self-interest should move hearers to hear and heed their leaders because they provide spiritual protection. And it would be of no advantage to you if on the day of reckoning, leaders must report that the hearers have resisted God's word. You need to fully understand the role and responsibility of your pastors so that you fully understand your responsibility as a church member towards your pastors. This isn't a hobby for us. It's, and it's so much more than just a means of gainful employment. This is an assignment from God. And one day we will answer not just for ourselves, but for you as well. When I stand before the risen Christ and he says, how did so-and-so respond when you preach this? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? We have to give an answer for ourselves and how we shepherded. We have to give an answer for how you responded. Your pastors are stewards of God's house under God's authority. They are servant leaders over you. And they will one day have to give an account for how they've stewarded. Your responsibility is to listen to them, to be persuaded by God's word, to follow both their teaching and their lives. And as verse 7 reminds us, imitate their faith. And if you won't submit to your pastors for their sake, then at least submit to them for your own sake. We will all have to give an account to God for how we have obeyed or disobeyed his word. And when you fail to obey your elders, this is not just a differing of opinion. You're overthrowing God's rule in his church. It's a serious thing to rebel or, or even to simply ignore or to make life miserable for your pastor. This, this verse is one of the ways in which we offer to God acceptable service. One commentator said, we need to be careful that we understand that when we reject the authority of the elders in the church in the course of a faithful and biblical exercise of that authority, we have overthrown the rule of Christ in his church and rebelled against the authority of God in his own house. 
Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That's your first responsibility as a church member to your pastors. Listen to them. The second responsibility, we won't spend as much time on this one. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. Look at verses 18 and 19. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Uh, the author, be it Paul or someone else, is now requesting personal prayer. Uh, this is a common feature in Paul's letters. Um, we see this at the end of, of many of his letters. Uh, what this says, literally, is keep praying for us. Uh, and this request for prayer, it reemphasizes that he believes what he's written in the book. Believers in Christ have access to the throne of God through the blood of Jesus. And as he's encouraged them throughout the book by telling them that Jesus intercedes for us, now he asks that they intercede for him. But this request, it reads a little oddly. He says, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience. Leon Morris in his commentary said, having a good conscience is a most unusual reason for requesting prayer. But the apostle is probably experiencing some of the same kinds of hardships and persecutions as these believers. He's not aloof. He's not speaking in the abstract. He's probably going through the fire along with them. He knows what they're going through. If we accept Paul as the author, then we are well aware of his many trials in preaching the gospel. But, he says, his conscience is clear. He's unaware of any wrongdoing or of any error in his teaching of his doctrine of his proclamation that Jesus is the Christ, as he's been persuading them that Jesus is better than the, the priest and the temple and the animal sacrifices, so don't go back to it. His conscience is clear in this regard. In Acts chapter 23, verse 1, Paul stands before the Jewish court and says, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And so given this fact, he asked for prayer that he might continue to act honorably in all things. He, he desires, and that, that's a, a verb that expresses more than just a wish, but it's a position of the will. He has a firm determination to live in a proper and holy way. So pray for him. His conscience is clear. He's teaching correct doctrine. He hasn't wronged anyone. His life is in conformity with God's word. So pray for him that he will continue to act honorably in all things so that the gospel would be clearly seen, not just in his teaching, but in his manner of life. He wants the gospel to keep going. So pray for him that he doesn't fall into any kind of sin or false teaching that would bring shame and dishonor upon Christ in the church. And finally, he asked that these Christians would pray even more urgently that he would be restored to them all the sooner. And we don't know exactly what the circumstances are here. Maybe he's in trouble with the authorities. He could be in prison himself. He could be sick. We, we simply don't know what the circumstances are in which he finds himself. We do see, however, that he believes what he's been teaching. 
He believes that these, these believers have access to the throne of God, and so he requests that they pray for him. But he also recognizes the importance of being with the believers. In chapter 10, verse 25, he wrote that we ought not to neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. For some reason, he has been separated from them. And he re-emphasizes the importance of meeting together. And even more than that, he expresses his desire that he be with them. He's been separated from them, and now he asks that they pray for him so that he might soon be able to be a part of their gatherings again. He wants to be with them because he loves them. Now, these are personal requests from a specific individual. Verses 18 and 19, we can't just, we can't just skip over the fact that this is the author asking for personal prayer for himself. But we do need to ask the question, how can we apply these to our pastors in general? Well, given everything that he said in verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Given all of that, I think that we can apply verses 18 and 19 in a few ways. Now this, again, is not exhaustive. But it's some things for you to consider. It's, it's some things to, to let your brain percolate on. And so here's some ways in which you can pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastor's doctrine and teaching. If you're being instructed to obey your pastors, then pray that your pastors would continue to be a man of the word. Pray for... Their time, not, not only of specific study for preaching and teaching, but pray for your pastors in their devotional reading. Pray that God would, would open your pastor's mind to understand and to believe and obey the word of God himself. Pray that the spirit would minister to your pastor's heart through the gospel. Just because you're a pastor doesn't mean that you're somehow an elevated super-Christian you're still daily in need of the gospel. You're still in daily need of the word. And just like some of you struggle to open the Bible on a particular day of the week, your pastor does too. There's not some special ability that pastors gain at their ordination. Pray for them. Pray for their, their, their study. Pray that your pastors would be kept safe from false teaching. The Apostle Paul in, in Acts, talking to the elders of Ephesus, he says, I know after I'm gone, there will be wolves that arise from among you. He knows that, that even among the elders of the church at Ephesus, there's going to arise false teachers. Pray for your pastors that they would be kept from false teaching. Pray that your pastors would be able to identify false teaching. And that they would be able to warn and keep the church from false teaching. And then pray for your pastor's preaching. You may already be praying. That preaching is so bad. Pray for your pastor's preaching. This is an act of worship, but it's also spiritual warfare. Pray that, that your pastors, whoever it may be, who stands up here, that they would have clarity when they approach a text that they would be able to accurately and clearly proclaim the text 
to you. It's such an encouragement to know that people pray for me before I preach. Pray for your pastors. Pray as they are preaching. Second, pray for your pastor's lifestyle. Pray for their lives. Paul instructed Timothy to keep a close watch on yourself and on the teachings. In verse 18, the apostle asked for prayer for the exact same thing. He's convinced that his conscience is clear, but he still asks that they pray that he, that he would continue acting honorably in all things. You can pray the same thing for your pastors. Pray that their consciences would remain clear in their teaching and in their lives and that they might act honorably in all things. Pray for your pastors that we would have wisdom in governing the church. Pray that we would make wise decisions. I'm so thankful that we have five pastors instead of one. We can share the burdens. We can bounce ideas off of one another. Pray for our unity. Pray for our wisdom. If you're praying for these things, if you're witnessing these things, you have no doubt to, no reason to doubt either the teaching or the lifestyle of your pastors, then, then there really is no reason not to obey and submit to them. You can do this out of an atmosphere of trust, knowing that your pastors love the Lord Jesus, that your pastors love you and they want what's best for you. And even when you disagree, you can say, I've been praying for them. I've been praying that they, they would be wise. And, and so I'm going to submit to them in this. Third, you can pray for your pastor's circumstances. The, the apostle asked for that in verse 19. Pray that I would be restored to you the sooner. We don't know what the circumstances are, but he's asking for prayer in his circumstances. You can do the same for your pastors. Three of your pastors are employed outside of this church, and with that comes extra responsibilities and extra stresses. Pray for Dave and for Parker and Philip, especially that they might work faithfully and be witnesses of Christ, but, but that their work might be enjoyable and that it, it wouldn't be a burden but that they would be glad in their work. Pray for your pastors and their families. Pastoring has its responsibilities, and your pastor's families often have to shoulder some of that burden as well. Time spent away from them. You can ask Julia. I'm often thinking about sermons or situations with church members, and it can be a challenge to, to put that away when I'm at home. Pray for your pastor's marriages. Pray for their kids. We're just regular people with the regular responsibilities of school and paying bills and in-laws. Pray for your pastors and pray for their homes. Pray for your pastor's health. Sleepless nights are a thing. Spiritual responsibilities can have physical effects on us. Pray for us. You want us around longer? Pray for our health. You don't want us around as long? Finally, pray for each other. Think about verse 17. Pray that we might be a church that humbly and joyfully submits to God's word and strives to obey. Pray that we would be kept from false teaching. Pray that we might be unified. It doesn't mean that we all agree on everything, but it means that we are humble and, and we show deference to one another, that we love each other and we want 
We want to, to give in to, to other people. We want to yield to other people. I've been through two church splits. You don't want to go through a church split. Pray for unity. Pray that none of us would fall into any kind of gross sin that would bring shame upon Christ and his gospel. As we are approaching the end of the book, pray for one another that we won't fall away. Pray that we won't fall away. This isn't a book that's saying, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Do it yourself. Pray for one another. We need grace. Once again, Robert Paul Martin, he writes, do not revere your elders as patriarchs whose faces adorn the walls like out there, or, or whose names rest above some doorway or on some building, but whose religion has ceased to be known and loved and whose examples are no longer followed. If your elders prove in the end to be faithful men, remember them by imitating their faith and lives. Listen to your pastors. Pray for your pastors. Those are your responsibilities as a church member. I hope that doesn't sound self-serving because it's not meant to be. It's simply what the word of God instructs us to do. And it's for our good. And it's for the sake of the church. And it's for the sake of the gospel. Because when we obey, we magnify God in Christ. This, this church exists to glorify God. And we do that as we faithfully proclaim the good news of the gospel. That Christ has come to die for sinners. That those who come to Christ by faith alone will be saved. If we're rejecting the teaching of God's word, if we're rebelling against authority, if we are, are fighting against one another, if we are breaking apart on the inside, how can we go and proclaim the good news outside? But when we fail, when we sin, and we will, you will sin, your pastors will sin, you will fail your pastors, your pastors will fail you. When this happens, we remember that there is a Savior. And it's not any one of your pastors. Your Savior is the Lord Jesus. And when we sin, we can remember Christ. And we can turn away from our sin and we can run to the Lord Jesus whose death on the cross was for the church. He died for his church, that she would be cleansed of her sin and reconciled to God through his blood, that she would be sanctified by his word. And we have the promise that he will keep us to the very end. Church, I pray that you will be strengthened by his word, that we will be unified around the word, that we will love and serve one another. And if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, I hope that this church and her obedience to the word will be a testimony to you. I pray that you will see through our love and our obedience what a great savior that we have. We're not good people. We're sinners. 
but we have an awesome Savior. And he's the Savior not just for this one group. He's the Savior for all who would believe. May we persevere, church. May we persevere to the, to the end that God would be glorified through this church. He's given pastors to the church for that purpose. Pray that your pastors would be faithful men. And pray that Christ Fellowship will be a faithful church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is breathed out by God and that it is profitable for us to teach us and to train us and to rebuke us and to exhort us and that your word is sufficient. It contains everything we need for life and godliness. That we, as individuals and as a church, would be complete, lacking in no good thing. Father, I pray that your spirit would take your word Apply it to our hearts. May it take root deep within your people that they might believe it and that they might obey it. Father, I pray for those who have never trusted in Christ. I pray that even today that your spirit would convict them of their sin open their eyes, give them faith and repentance to come to the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the good news that all who call, call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, I pray that you would keep this church, protect us from false teaching, Give grace to this church in the overseers that you give. May we humbly submit. Build us up and unify us. Cause our love to grow and abound all the more. Be glorified in the saints here. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.